Well, we pick it up where we left off last time with Thomas Watson and his study through the sixth petition from his book on the Lord's Prayer, the last petition. Uh, of course, uh, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to remind you where we left off. When a person is reduced to outward wants and straits, the devil tempts him. And one of the ways he's going to deal with next, the fourth season. So we were looking at seasons. Satan knows how to attack in different seasons. Uh, the first one was uh, early in season, right? A new, fresh bud. He wants to nip it off immediately. Uh, he, he tempts in the second season when we are unemployed. More will be dealt with that tonight. There's a little bit of overlap. Um, but particularly, we're given that illustration of the bird that sits still on a branch. It's easy shooting, right? Uh, and then third, a person is reduced to outward wants and straits. Uh, the devil tempts him. So they gave, he gave the example of when Christ went into the wilderness, though led by the Spirit, Satan goes to get us when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're weak. That's a, that's a season he likes to go after us. And there can be seasons of that in life. Um, and then uh, he tempts us fourthly, and this is what we started last week, we ended on, and now we're gonna, he's going to open that up and explain. Because it might make you go, What? Fourthly, Satan tempts after an ordinance. What's an ordinance? It's a command of God, right? It's a, he's thinking of a, of a scriptural command. And right after we're given an ordinance, we can be tempted to break it. Um, he gives us the example again. Uh, Christ had been fasting and praying, and then uh, came the tempter. Uh, the word in prayer, uh, Jesus had just... Uh, been baptized, right? He'd just been given the baptism of the Holy Spirit, received his his office, and as we said, you know, like after an ordination, we might have a celebration. You know, after I was ordained here, we had a celebration dinner in the next building. Whereas Jesus has to go straight out into the wilderness, and uh, the spirit, uh, the Christ, excuse me, Satan will tempt him there. And so we got to recognize and be careful that Satan is often going to do that to us. And uh, so he asked this question. Why does Satan choose time after an ordinance to tempt? We should think it be the most disadvantaged time when the soul is raised to a heavenly frame. Right? If we've just been fasting and if we've just been having a, a spiritual, important spiritual moment that is uh, legitimate and, and, and bona fide and real. How is that a time where it would make sense that that would be a season where Satan could come after us? Well, among other things... He says this, After we have been at the solemn worship of God, we are apt to grow remiss and leave off former strictness, like a soldier who after the battle leaves off his armor. And we talked about how we got to be careful to keep the shield of faith up all the time. Arrows are always flying. We are never not in battle. There is never a time where the enemy is not seeking another way to come in after us, right? In one way or the other. But after we've had an important time of growth, a great worship service, uh, you know, I think one of the times Satan attacks is, you know, we go on a, maybe church camp or we go to a special conference by the time we get back. I remember I went to a Promise Keepers conference, and not that everything about that I would necessarily, necessarily recommend, but I remember, remember um, the person who was with me was so excited. And by the time we got home, it was almost gone. I'd never seen the person excited about the Lord or things like that before. And then the other person that greeted us completely put it out. 
there can be that sense of feeling so happy and then something that disappoints and all of a sudden, oh, right? Or just, I know, uh, you know, I can preach about something and then go right out afterwards before the evening service and completely go against what I just preached. And it's so humiliating. I know I've heard that from others. That, you know, it's, ah, we think that we're in a place where we let our guard down, and that's exactly when he gets us, right? When we let our guard down. Uh, after a full meal, men are apt to grow drowsy, he says. So after we have had a full meal at an ordinance, we are apt to slumber and grow secure. And then Satan shoots his arrow of temptation and hits us between the joints of our armor. So again, you have a good meal, you get a little, get a little relaxed, get, you got to remember, we got to always have that shield right by us, got to always have that sword right next to us. There's always going to come down. Sometimes those are the times he gets us, when we least expect it, I guess, is really what it comes down to, right? We think, we're, we think like there's a, point, there's a time where we just don't have to worry about it. Well, that's a big window in, right? <laughs> um, a fifth season that Satan knows to come after us, a season where we're particularly in danger. Satan tempts after some discoveries of God's love. We discover new ways of God's love, new experience of God's love, and Satan come right in after that. He explains, when a soul has been laden with spiritual comforts, the devil shoots at him to rob him of all. When you have some comforts, the devil wants to take them away, right? Uh, I can't help but think of the example of some toddlers, right? You know, wait a minute, you can't have that, I have to have it. No, I have to have it. You know, he doesn't want us to have it. Remember we read earlier, he's malicious. He does not want the Christian to be happy. If he sees you're particularly experiencing God's love, he's going to want to go out of his way to convince you otherwise and make you doubt it, that you were mistaken, because uh, think about it, if you have someone, let's just speak humanly, uh, someone that you think really loves you, let's say a, a young man and a young woman, and oh, I, this young woman has professed her adoration, and then the next thing you know, she's gone and doesn't want to talk to you, and you see her on a date with another guy. Well, that experience of love is followed by particular pain and disappointment, right? And so he wants to take away our belief of God's love, he wants to take away that sense of it right after we've had a great sense of it. It can make us doubt it. It can make us be afraid to feel it again. Sixth season, Satan tempts when he sees us weakest. When he sees us weakest. When are we weakest? I'm going to give you the answer, but I'm curious if you might guess it. When are we weakest? We're very weak when we're tired. Isaac? When we're doubting ourselves. Doubting ourselves. Abe, were you about to say something? When we're not say that again? When we're not You're getting very close to it. That's, that's a lot. That's very close to it. He said when we're not with our... What's that? When we don't go to church, you're all touching on it now. Yes, Gabriel? When are we most danger of doing something wrong? Okay, I'm going to take, it, take the reins back here. Good, good, good. I know you're trying. Uh, Olivia and Abraham are getting more at it. And I think, again, I got all these toddler illustrations right now. Gideon, we're having a hard time keeping quiet right now. 
But when we're home and we don't hear him, and we can't find him, that's the biggest danger for him. What is it? He's alone. Yes. All right, Gideon. Daddy's here. All right. We're going to have to move him into the training room. Okay. So this is the thing. He says, now he's going to have other issues to talk about, but he says, Satan tempts us when he sees us weakest, and he says, when we are alone. He's, he's going to identify another issue that's striking, and I think it'll be preparatory for us. But he says, when we are alone. Now, can you think of it, an example right at the beginning of the Bible? Yeah, he went to Eve when she was not with her husband. He wasn't there to protect her. She was alone. That, he didn't go after her when she was with Adam. He went after her when they were separated. It's, you know, the whole divide and conquer, right? The whole, uh, again, what happens, uh, you know, we talk about the weakest, but when are the uh, animals uh, most weakest uh, when a predator's after them? Well, they're left behind, right? They get out from the group of the pack. We were just seeing... I think it was Wildcrats yesterday. We were watching something and, uh, with the kids. And they are showing, I don't know if it was mackerel, some of the swarming fish, you know. And they were saying how the thing is, one of their defense mechanisms is, I guess they're everybody's food in the ocean. That's not really a defense mechanism. But the defense mechanism, there's so many of them that the chances of one of them, you know, getting eaten is low because of, you know, the whole pack moving around. The, the being alone is much more vulnerable. Yes, Isaac. Being alone, that, yeah, yeah, not paying attention. Okay, yes, Abe. Uh, dolphins, when they're getting attacked by sharks, they take the young ones and they put them in the shadow, and all the dark adults go around them. Yeah, the young ones who could be, they want to get them separated. They get them in the middle, and the dolphins protect the young ones in the middle, so they don't get separated out, and then they're more vulnerable to attack. Right. Well, I was going to say elephants do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Okay, uh, if you, I, I would like to go through a number of scriptures here. This is something I've jotted down a number of scriptures. I think that it would benefit us. And I appreciate what Abraham and Olivia brought up. When we don't go to church, when we're not around our brethren, you know, the scriptures never talk about Christians in isolation from one another. It's not even a concept. Okay, it doesn't exist in the Bible. The idea that we're a lone ranger Christian and we can do this on our own and we don't have to go to church. There's all these other issues. But just the reality of being alone and separated is extremely dangerous. Accountability, but just support and encouragement and love, right? So I want to go through a number of scriptures with you to take a look at this. I want to take you first, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go the New Testament and Old Testament back and forth a little bit. But I'd like to give a little extra attention to this. We are so weak and in danger of being tempted when we are alone. Or you might say when we are isolated and when we isolate ourselves. Yes, Abraham. I'm sorry? First Corinthians chapter 12. If I might have, I'm not sure. But First Corinthians chapter 12. Now this whole chapter is really worth reading, but I, I want to go to the verses that I think most... Most speak to the potential of thinking, I don't need anybody. I got God. I got my Bible. You know. So foreign from the scriptures, but let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 to 26. But now are they many members, yet but one body? 
Now again, Christ is the head. The church is being called the body of Christ. You don't see the body members all off on their own. They'll die on their own, right? And so that's the context. But now are they many members yet but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So let's think about this. Mrs. Renner, you had your eye worked on this week, yeah? Did your arm and your leg go off on their own until your eye was better? So we'll see you later. We'll come back. Let us know when you're good. We'll come back when all things are groovy. No, they're there, right? Yeah, something, uh, you know, you, you get an ache in your arm. What happens? Your hand, oh, you know, rub it down. I mean, it's just natural that the body parts are completely aware of and unified together and taking care of one another. And no body part survives on its own. Now, it's interesting here, he's saying, you can't say I don't need that part. Now, sometimes it's interesting how much he's emphasizing the things that are the meekest are most important. Sometimes I think people are happy to go to the big conferences and they're happy to go to the retreats and things. But to come, you know, especially when there's big speakers or as uh, Carl Truman will also often uh, kind of uh, lament, you know, the, this whole uh, celebrity mentality, right? You know, and uh, the average just people in the pews don't seem to be that important. It's as if we don't need them a lot of times, right? We can skip worship, you know, get what we need. There doesn't seem to be a sense of the others enough. Right, uh, For the sake of the others, but also for the sake of ourselves. We do not grow on our own. And those who help us grow the most are usually the ones that no one's talking about. They're not on any lecture circuit. They're the brother and sisters in the pew that are there every week and want to ask us how we're doing and remember what we were talking about last week and what's going on at our job and know what we need the most. And they're to give us a hug when nobody else is going to give us a hug. So the body, this image of the body of the church, there is not even a possibility we would be separated. And there's not any idea that we would say, I don't need somebody. Especially those who we might be tempted to think are the least important. They're actually the most important, Paul says. All right, look with me. Um, before I go to the Old Testament, let's go back to Romans twelve fifteen. We've looked at this scripture many times. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. What's the most important word there? It's repeated. I know there's a number of words that are repeated. Huh? Yeah, that's a good point. Them. But I was thinking of another word that goes with it. No, with. <laughs> we skip right over it. Although I almost skipped over them. Them is really, really getting at it more, isn't it? But with them, right? 
Now, think about this. We need to be able to rejoice with one another, and we need to be able to weep with one another. And the fact that we don't do this enough in church because we're way too Western and far too less Eastern, which is the culture of the Bible, everybody goes to the bars and the bowling lanes to get it. And that's the truth. Because it's not a safe place in church often enough for people to cry and people to rejoice and share and be thankful. And because it's, we're afraid somebody is going to look at us and not really be all that happy with us when we're so happy and we wish we could rejoice with them or, or they're not going to be there for us and really just sit there and cry with us. You know, well, we'll go somewhere else. And that's what happens. People go other places for this. This is where it should happen. We need one another and we need to really be with one another. And life has joys and life has pain. And we share them together because we're one body. Okay? Isolation. You do not want to be crying alone. You do not want to be going through your difficulties alone. And yeah, if you you do, that's definitely a place Satan's going to go after you. And offer you the wrong solutions. You often have to be careful also not to be rejoicing alone. Pride comes before the fall. (laughs) All right. We need one another to help each other accountable to one another. Uh, Just be there and support and love one another. And when we don't have that, we are in great danger. Okay, I want to take you with me now to one more. Well, we we won't need to, um, we don't need to turn there, but it's already been brought up a few times in different aspects of seasons where Satan will particularly try to tempt us. Now, Matthew 4, we're thinking about, again, the danger of isolation, of being alone. Now we know that God is always with us, but we know he particularly manifests himself in the body, in the temple, in the house and family of God. All of these things the scriptures refer to as a corporate collective thing, right? It's not that when we're alone that the Holy Spirit's not with us, but the danger is thinking that he's going to primarily work with us that way, right? He's going to be sending us to church, sending us to the body. Okay, but Matthew 4, why does that come up thinking about isolation? Notice that Satan goes after Jesus when he's alone, right? He doesn't have anybody there to say, get out of here, leave him alone, he's tired, he's hungry. You know, doesn't, that, that's a benefit for us sometimes, right? We might be in a, in a weakened state and we can say, can you just, I just need to be in my office or in my bedroom, I just need to catch a nap, I need to look, collect myself, can you just... If anyone wants to see me, can you just let them know to come back? I just need some time. And sometimes just having that buffer, right? (laughs) Those people that say, hey, come on back. He'll be here. She'll be here. But right now they need a little time, right? Uh, Jesus didn't have that. Now, of course, he is God. He is perfect. He didn't succumb to the temptation. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. But notice that Satan went after him when he was hungry. After a long time. And when he was alone in the desert okay uh, there's a reason there's a reason he did it then because if he's going to try to get Jesus to sin he won't be able to but you're going to attack at the most likely moment right okay uh, now I want to want you to turn with me to two Old Testament scriptures um, well no just one I already mentioned Genesis 2:18 I alluded to it uh, Satan went after Eve when she was alone there's safety in numbers we say right? not a good idea to go to war on your own right i'm gonna go conquer mexico and i'm gonna do it by myself 
okay, well, I'll see you in the news in about an hour, dead. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not going to happen. You know, I'm not saying we should, bad, you could have said, I don't know, conquer Hawaii. It's just for illustration, you know. Nothing against Mexico. Don't hurt me, Mrs. Mexico. No, but, you know, I mean, we're not going to go conquer some place. I'm not going to go take over my neighbor's house by myself, right? I mean, give me a break. Not, I'm not planning that. It's just you get the idea. It doesn't make any sense, right? And if I'm under attack, it makes no sense to try to deal with it alone. And that's really the biggest issue, being under attack. When we're under attack, we need to get our brethren. We need to be together. We need to be in worship together. Here you are tonight. Here's a wonderful example. You are here tonight together. I'm assuming that most of you have probably had some difficult moments since the Lord's Day. Any raise of hands, or you don't have to, but yeah, most of you, yeah. The others of you think about it and you realize, yes, you did. You know, <laughs> I mean, I know some of you are going through some things. Some of you pretty much dragged yourself here afterward. And being together, studying the word together, singing, praying together is a strengthening, edifying thing. It's a protecting thing. We, and the thing is, if we're tempted to stay alone when we're, when we're feeling uh, a problem, right? As, and, and sometimes we need some alone time, but we don't want to have it completely out of isolation of our brethren and communication, okay? Um, what I do want to take you with also is Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And uh, this will be the last scripture on this topic. In the Old Testament, turn with me please to Ecclesiastes Right before Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Remember, this is the preacher Seth, the preacher Seth, and all these things to learn and understand. This is a pretty well-known scripture. Sometimes it's brought up related to weddings. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, and I'd like to read verses 9 through 12. Ephesians 4, 9 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's a lot easier to break you know, the threads that you wind together. It's a lot easier to break one of them. It's a lot easier to start severing one of them. Just the friction of wear of life, right? Three together holds a lot stronger. You know, you get the idea of you know, sharing, lying down somewhere in the warmth. Uh, in the cold, how our, our body heaps, helps each other, right? So if somebody's uh, in danger of um, hypothermia, they need another person next to them with blankets, right? They need, they need someone to be helping them. Um, two are better than one. You know, it, you get more done. The, the labor, think about it, you know. Uh, what's a quote, I wonder, Mr. Renner, if it's on the tip of your tongue, I, it's on the front of my mind that I've heard you say many times. Many hands. Makes light work. Makes light work. It's a lot easier. So when we have our work days and we're all here working, it's a joyful thing. It's not a burden. We can get so much done together that we just can't. So often we have somebody come over and help us, right? And I would say, boy, I'm just so glad you're here. I just couldn't have got this done without you. Yes, Isaac.
Right, the penguins, that's how they especially keep the baby eggs warm, right? They all huddle together in these big circles and it's warmer. And then people that are on the outside, they take turns going on the inside to thaw out, right? Yeah. And, but would they be able to stay warm like that without that big herd of penguins? I think you'd see a lot of ice-cold penguins lying on the ground, right? Great illustration, Isaac. Thank you. I'm going to have you come up and finish the class. No, just kidding. Go ahead, Abe. It gets up to 100 degrees in the center. Woo! Wow. Yes, Gabriel. Well, I know the penguins waddle sometimes, the, especially the daddies carry the egg on their feet, right? And they keep it safe till the mommies come back with the fish and stuff. Yeah, I really like that you like to participate. But let's move on. Okay, very good. So again, the idea is, I mean, what are we doing right now here? Uh, you know, as we're a little smaller Wednesday nights, I come down on the floor and we're all sitting together in the same side, right? I always want to laugh. It feels like the church is going to go, <laughs> no, but <laughs> not really. Um, but as we're gathered together, it's funny how it feels like we're bigger, right? You know, and uh, there's just an aspect of getting closer and what we can do together. Um, yeah, many hands make light work. And again, especially just thinking about enduring temptation. I mean, when you're alone, it's late at night, or you're alone in a place where people are, but nobody knows you, and you're kind of sitting by yourself, compared to if you are with people you know, especially the church, and you're close in a place you're supposed to be, where are you more likely not to give into temptation? With people. With the brethren. In the right place. So Satan is going to try to get you to go somewhere and be alone where you shouldn't be. Okay, when we're together, we can endure things. We can support each other. We can make the burden light of labor. We can also make the burden lighter as it relates to temptation. We can just bring happiness, we can pray, we can pray through something, sing psalms, we can just have a good laugh together, marry, uh, marry hard with good like medicine, right? I mean, sometimes, you ever have this where you just somebody's sad, but you know they're in a place where you can help them feel better. This is not always appropriate, but sometimes you just do something silly. They start laughing, you start laughing, everybody's laughing, right? I mean, just there's just many different benefits of being together. And, and sometimes just there to recognize the person is a need. Sometimes we don't even recognize it about ourselves. The person knows you because you're with them all the time. And say, look, I can tell. Come on, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Okay, uh, those are the scriptures I wanted to walk through together as it relates to when we are particularly weak, when we are alone. Now, this, when you think about it, uh, that leads to the, the second uh, thing of when we are at our weakest, the sixth season, when we are at our weakest, when we're alone, and when we are utterly alone. Can you think about the other example he's going to give of when we're at our weakest? I think this is a very pastoral comment. At our death. He says, when the hour of death approaches. Because the reality is, we can all be there with one another, but it's a point where you go on on your own. There's a point where you cross to the other side and no one else can go there with you. And that can be a really lonely feeling. And you can be really tempted to be in despair. You, even as Christians, you can be really tempted to be in fear. And we have to remember then, someone is still with us and goes there through with us, right? Our good shepherd that brings us through the valley of the shadow of death. 
But that is the truth that he says. Now, this is he's a pastor. He, he knows that there is an aspect of feeling utterly alone. People are there with you, but there's a place you know you're going where they can't go at that moment with you. That's some kind of tragic event that takes you all at the same time. He says, when death is striking at the body, Satan is striking at the soul. Now, I want to uh, encourage everyone in this sense. And remember that Derek Thomas with Pilgrim's Progress touched on this, right? Christian had a difficult time crossing the river into the celestial city. He, he pointed out that death isn't the same for everyone. Some people, Christians including, struggle with that moment, struggle with the uncertainty, right? Um, I've often quoted, I, I just think this is helpful. I don't mean to make too light of it, but Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? I mean, this is a, that's why a lot of us say, boy, it'd be great if I died in my sleep. I don't have to face that exactly, right? That sense of aloneness. And we have to remember that that's not an abnormal experience. And so we do need our loved ones with us, right? Ideally, we want people to be there with us, to hold our hand, to sing with us, to stroke our face, to comfort us through those last moments rather than having to go it alone if we can, if the Lord would allow that. Um, now, the third subtlety uh, he talks about. So now we're on to another subtlety. One of them was these seasons, and then he's broken down these different seasons. Now we're on to a third subtlety. Um, fifth season, sixth season, another subtlety. We have been on the second season. Uh, the second subtlety, he knows the right seasons to tempt us. Okay, And then we went through a number of different seasons. Now we're on to the s- third subtlety. Remember, he's subtle. Subtle's like the snake that he is, the serpent. He knows how to creep up. He didn't. How did he get here? <laughs> What's he doing right behind me? He's about to step on him. I didn't even know he was there, right? He's subtle. He knows to creep up and carefully seduce you. You know, if he came at us, you know, the way he is in other images as the dragon, we'd be screaming and running away, right? He's subtle. So now we're back to the third subtlety, the way he seduces. Satan, he says... In tempting, baits his hook with religion. He baits his hook with religion. The bait, the worm that makes you bite the hook of sin and temptation is religion itself. He says this, he tempts to sin under pretenses of piety. He makes us happy with the outward things rather than really the inward things. The pretenses of piety, the pretending rather than the changing. He says sometimes he is the white devil and transforms himself into an angel of light. That's Titus chapter 1, verse 16. He knows how to present himself as very religious. You know, he, I mean, I'm sure he was very pleased with the scribes and Pharisees that Christ was really calling out. They were very religious. But what did they do it for? What was the big issue of the hypocrisy? They didn't do it for God. Who'd they do it for? Themselves, right? This is right. And they did it for themselves. They did it for their own glory. They did it for their own wanting people to be impressed with them. They prayed in the public to be seen of men. They fasted in public to be seen of men. And it wasn't real. It wasn't inner. Uh, Satan, he says, can write the title of religion upon the worst temptation. And, you know, we can even disguise other sins in the, in the context of religion. Or we can be doing some things that are in themselves right, but for the wrong motives. Or, frankly, 
as a disguise for a lot of sin we're not dealing with and that we're hiding. Right? We're going to distract people off the trail of what's really going on with us with a whole, lot, whole bunch of uh, outward religious stuff. Maybe it is coming to church all the time. Maybe it's no, I mean, I'm telling you, we have experienced this over the years. You know, the people who are experienced governing the church, and this is not to discourage you from doing this, by the way, but what's striking to us, the people who are really actually behind the scenes, the worst off, are the ones who can quote the Puritans and make me and the elders look like babes. Oh, they can quote the Puritans and go right out and do the opposite of what the Puritans are concerned about. We can just quote, 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 and we can say all this religious stuff and just sound good while we hide the sins we're doing. Or we could keep pointing at other things. Oh, isn't that a shame? They're not doing this and that and doing that. So that nobody looks at the fact that this is who we really are. Religion can be a cloak and not a reality. Uh, the fourth subtlety, Satan tempts to sin gradually. Satan tempts to sin Gradually, I can think of another thing that Mr. Renner says a lot. Can you think of it? Beware of the thin edge of the wedge. doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to start slipping down a slope, even if it's a slow grade. Next thing you know, you can't stop, right? And it may take a little longer, but you get to that same chasm. Satan tempts to sin gradually. He says, Thomas Watson says, he tempts first to less sins that he may bring on greater. You know, as they say, there are introductory drugs, right? I mean, what's, you know, which are, which are uh, state made legal and, I mean, I don't know, you can't go anywhere without seeing ads about it. There are introductory drugs that get you to the worst stuff where the money is really made, <laughs> right? Um, and where they really take over your lives. He says, a little prick of an artery may occasion a mortal gangrene. Doesn't take much to make you terribly sick and die. You know, I thought about this because recently we we've been having a lot of problems with spider bites in our house, as some of you know. And, uh, we took uh, Gideon to the doctor a few, maybe a month ago now, because he had a pretty bad. I've never seen him this big. You know, I just want to know if there's something we should do. And the doctor told me that sometimes spider bites and even mosquito bites, if they get you in the right place, they infect you and you need antibiotics. And your knee is swollen up like you can't play. Now, I've never seen this. i never heard about this. But it just takes a little prick of a little mosquito nose, and your leg can be swollen. Now, of course, if we have allergies, different things, bees, for instance. But just if it gets you in the wrong place. I'm not trying to scare you. Some of you look very concerned. I'm not going outside without a net now. <laughs> you know. But, uh, I mean, you realize how much the Lord protects us from, right? But it doesn't take much. The illustration is it does not take much. For Satan to get you bad if you just take a little nibble or you let someone else take a little nibble. Um, Satan, he says, first tempted David to an impure glance of the eye to look upon Bathsheba. And that unclean look occasioned adultery and murder. He just was looking at a lady bathing herself. He shouldn't have. Not to say that's not terribly wrong. You know what Jesus says about just looking at a woman lustfully. And he looked again, turns into lust, right? She seems to have been knowing this. He, remember, shouldn't have been idle there in the first place. Should have been out towards the kings were supposed to be. But that look turned into adultery. He called on her and she came. 
and then to try to hide up the, the, the effect of that with a child in her womb, he has her husband killed. It's incredible. I don't think he saw that coming. Do you? I don't think, I mean, I think if he said, this is going to lead to killing her husband, I'm pretty sure he might have thought about it and stopped. But we don't think ahead, and we don't look ahead, and we don't know what's coming. Satan does. He has a pretty good idea anyways. And he knows he can just get you to do that one look. If he can just get you to do that one thing. It can be a slippery slope. Okay. Satan's uh, subtlety, fifth subtlety is this. Satan's policy is to hand over temptations to us by those whom we least suspect. You know, we were singing Psalm 109 last Lord's Day evening. It was interesting. Brought up Satan. It was interesting how it talked about those whom I love, those whom love me and I love, my own friends, turned against me. I mean, that's the worst. That hurts the most. And that's the occasion to want to sing because you're so bitter about it and broken about it. That's not exactly what he's getting to, but I think it relates. He he gives us temptations through the people we don't expect it from. Right? I mean, if you think about it, even Uriah, who was killed in battle, was carrying his execution orders. But he was such a trustworthy man, he didn't open them. But David gave them to him to give to his governor, his superior officer, to put him in the front of the battle to get killed. He probably did not expect that. Uh, He tempts us by near friends. A lot of times they're just telling us what we want to hear. Oh, come on, you can skip church one time. Come on, let's go to the mountains. Come on, let's go to the game. Oh, come on, you know what? It's not going to kill anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. If it doesn't hurt anybody, it doesn't kill anybody. It can't be that wrong, right? Come on, let's go. Let's go play the slots. Come on, what? What? What's a little? How does that hurt anybody? You know, whatever it is, like friends can just influence us, or just a lot of times, those are probably not the best illustrations. Things that are more subtle, but because they're coming from friends, it sounds like they really care about us, but it's actually not godly advice. You know, why do you got to bother with that church? They are just so crazy serious. You don't need to be worried about all that stuff. God just wants you to be happy. Yes, Abraham? You said when you were saying all that, that it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to kill anybody. It will kill us in the end. It will in the end. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, he also tempts sometimes by religious friends. And he gives the example of Peter. In Matthew 16, verse 23, what did Peter say? It sounded good, right? You're not, you're not going to die. And later. You're not, you're not going to wash my feet, those kinds of things, right? But you're not going to, this can't happen to you. And what, is, what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Can you imagine being Peter? <laughs> you know, but uh, I mean, he was speaking to who was behind the comment. Peter's well-meaning. He's, he's really, I don't think, meaning to tempt Jesus. He doesn't want his Savior to go through this. He loves him. But he's not remembering this is what he's been called to. And he's been telling them that. He's been preparing them for this. You know, our religious friends will sometimes encourage us to compromise for our own benefit. But it's the opposite of what God wants. And the opposite of what God wants to accomplish. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. He says, when our religious friends would dissuade us from doing our duty... Satan is a lying spirit in their mouths and would by them entice us to evil. Not just enticing us to do things we shouldn't, but enticing us to commit the sin of omission. 
not do our duty. The sixth subtlety, Satan tempts some persons more than others. Everybody has their different issues. One person has this thing that doesn't really affect another person for whatever reason. The other person has this thing that doesn't affect the other person for whatever reason, but for them, it's a big thing. And Satan knows to go after people more than others in certain situations because they're more susceptible to it. Now, it's interesting, the first kind of person that is uh, he goes after because they're uh, more susceptible, that he goes after them more frequently, is ignorant persons. Ignorant. Meaning they lack information, they lack wisdom and knowledge of how to apply even the information they know. Ignorant persons. You know, they just, they don't know any better, they don't any di- know any different. They hardly know the truth, so they don't recognize counterfeit. You know, we often say, I didn't know. And sometimes the truth is, we didn't. But when you say, I didn't know the speed limit was 30 miles an hour, officer, does the officer say, oh, you didn't know? Well, then never mind. Oh, he still writes your ticket, and now you know. <laughs> you know? And sometimes we, like ignorance is bliss, we like to not look at the traffic signs. We like to leave them tucked away behind the bush that should have been trimmed. We don't like to look at it on our our map thing that tells us the speed limit there. It's amazing how they know. Number two, another, uh, the kinds of people that Satan likes to go after extra, more frequently, unbelievers. I think this should really give us compassion with witnessing and patience. Unbelievers who they doubt a deity and they deny hell, what sin may he not be drawn into? I, I don't really think there is a God, so I can do whatever I want. There's, there's no sin, and that's what modern psychology is teaching. There isn't sin, there isn't guilt, and also there isn't God. So, so what is this worrying about sin in the first place, Right? But if you also don't believe in him, remember the illustration we looked at. I think I shared it last week, shared it in this Lord's Day evening sermon. But this skit at college in Camp Crusade for Christ, Satan's going around and he's realizing nobody believes in him. And he says, he doesn't go around demanding that they recognize his existence. He says, ooh, this is good. I can do a lot more damage this way. After all, if you don't believe there's an arrow flying in the air, are you likely to try to block it? <laughs> you're, you're done. Right? Number three, proud persons. Satan especially regularly goes after proud persons. They're much more susceptible to sin. Proud persons, he says, over these he has more power. Now, we pride ourselves on pride, don't we? We'll call it other words. (laughs) We'll disguise how we talk about it. But we are proud and we like that we're proud and we want other people to be impressed with us. In fact, we talked about it in uh, our men's study with Jonathan Edwards' Charity and Its Fruits when we were in the chapter on uh, the, the spirit of charity or love is humility. And we said, you know, sometimes people say, I'm a humble per- I'm humble. I'm very humble. We said, well, if they say that, immediately they're not. They wouldn't say that and they wouldn't say do you. They keep it to themselves. I mean, they wouldn't feel the need to broadcast that they're humble if they actually are, right? Um, 
proud persons, Satan's going to go after you a lot because you are so easily suckered. Right, I should say we are, because aren't isn't that what? Can you think of uh, Proverbs sixteen verse eight eighteen? Proverbs sixteen eighteen. What comes before a fall? Pride. Pride comes before a fall. Anytime we start to get a little puffed up in our chest, right? Puffed up in our face, huh? That's the time to sit down and take a break, because that's the time you're most likely to sin. He gives us 2 Samuel 24, verse 2 as an example. David's heart was lifted up in pride. The devil stirred him up to number the people. A lot of them died for it. Uh, I like this quote a lot. This is a powerful quote. Lofty towers crash with a heavier fall, and lightning strikes the tops of mountains. Stay low. Yes, Isaac. Yeah, very good. Very good. The Tower of Babel. Wish I thought of that. <laughs> good one. <laughs> That's right. Now here's another one. And uh, I wanted to break out with a lot of extra articles and things related to Luther, but I, I think I won't uh, just to make some progress in time, and we're nearly done for tonight. So again, the different subtle ways that Satan knows how to go after us. This one is melancholy persons. What's melancholy? Yeah. Huh? Doesn't have a lot of flavor. No, melancholy is um, huh? De- downcast, depressed, easily forlorn. I couldn't help but think of a certain character in Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore, thanks for noticing me. Never smiles. Probably it's gonna rain. Anything that's good somehow has a negative way of looking at it. And so the cloud seems to always follow such a person, right? Gabriel, real quick. I gotta, I gotta watch this guy. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, you want a picture of Winnie the Pooh to draw next time for class? We'll think about that. Okay. Um, okay. Melancholy persons. And frankly, I can be a fairly melancholy person. Uh, melancholy persons, Satan goes after more frequently. Again, because these kinds of people, whether they're proud or melancholy, different kinds of things, they are more susceptible to get. Okay, They're more vulnerable. Satan works much upon this humor. There are three things in melancholy which give the devil great advantage. One, it unfits for duty. When the spirit is sad and melancholy, a Christian is out of tune for spiritual actions. I don't think I can come today. I'm really not feeling up for it. I think I'm going to stay in my room and mope, right? I've been there. Yeah, and then being alone, isolated, right? You know, when the best medicine would be just get out there and get some work done with people, right? Uh, It isn't that there isn't a place uh, where we don't need to be sad and seek help from people, but melancholy often keeps us from working. Now, that's going to be significant. He's going to come back to idleness, okay? 
Number two, why is melancholy so vulnerable to Satan's attacks? Why does he go after this kind of person more? Melancholy sides often with Satan against God. We blame God. We feel sorry for ourselves. And so instead of seeing the silver lining, we only see the dark cloud. And we don't want to recognize God's providence in it. We just want to recognize our pain in it. And actually, we blame God. One way or the other. Oh, we can be pretty sophisticated about how we communicate it. But ultimately, that's what we do. And then number three, or excuse me, he, uh, he goes on to say, the devil tells such a person God does not love him, there is no mercy for him. And we're susceptible to believe that. We're susceptible to say, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, why would he let this happen to me? Oh, I'm pretty sure a celebrity just said on, uh, made a big statement on Instagram a little while ago, I no longer believe in God. And you know the reason? If God existed, he wouldn't do these things to me. I wouldn't be having these troubles in my life. Not that they're not real troubles, but they're not anything to compare with a lot of other people's troubles that were being highlighted. Oh, if God really loved me, this wouldn't happen to me. Whereas our Bible says, it's good that you afflicted me because it brought me closer to you, brought me closer to your word. You know, uh, There's a scripture in Peter that says, when you are sad, use that sadness for other people's gladness. But we're just going to... Well, I know it's sunny outside, but I'm probably just going to get a sunburn. (laughs) Well, glad it's raining. We needed the rain. I'll probably just get all wet and I'll get a cold. (laughs) You know, whatever it is, somehow there's always a negative way to look at it, right? That's so easy for Satan to come in. You know, you're right. You're right, you poor soul. Right? He's going to come and pretend to comfort you. He's going to help you lay down in your bed and rot there. Okay, in self-pity. He says, now this is really striking, a melancholy person tempts the devil to tempt him. A melancholy person tempts the devil to tempt him. Tell me more. Tell me how bad I got it. Yeah, I like that. Help me feel bad. I like to feel bad. It's what I know. Uh, I I always remember this uh, phrase I learned once. You know, we have to learn how to stretch our upper limits. But when we're so used to a bad thing, the good thing, I don't know it. I'm not familiar with happiness. I am familiar with sadness. Let's just, let's just wrap myself up in a nice wet blanket. You know? We actually tempt the devil to tempt us in melancholy. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Would you make me feel more sorry? Would you help me justify this to myself, please? Satan's like, yeah, yeah no problem. In fact, I was coming to just for that reason, you know. Okay, Uh, number three, or excuse me, number five, and we'll close very soon. Uh, Actually, I'm going to close on this because it's brief, uh, but I know he's going to talk more about it later, so it's a good good place to just breeze over. He's going to get into it more. Number five, the kind of persons that Satan particularly attacks more frequently because they're such easy pickings. 
Or as the illustration he used earlier that relates to this, the bird not moving on a tree. Idle persons. Don't get me wrong, some people uh, can work too much and they're just as dangerous, but idle persons. Idle persons. The devil will find work for the idle to do, he says. You don't have anything to do? I got something for you. You can see the the drug dealer finding those young people he needs to do his work for him, right? You don't have anything to do sitting there? You don't have a job? I got a job for you. Come on, I'll take care of you. Make good money. You're not busy working? I'll find something for you to do. It's funny how, I mean, isn't this scary? We distract ourselves from all kinds of holy behavior because we're too busy with something that isn't holy. We're too busy about it. It's amazing how we can give so much time and attention to things that may even be permissible but not profitable and can set us up for sin or often sin itself. How much money, how much time, how much effort we can waste and kill ourselves to serve Satan as the master. And we don't seem to have any time or energy to do any work for Jesus. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? But how much time do we not serve Jesus in the church and other people on behalf of the church? Because we're too busy serving ourselves with idleness that turns into sinful behavior and sinful work. We're always going to be thinking or doing something. And we can't be about getting to good things. What are we going to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, that's right there. That's easy. It feels good. Let's do that. Let's be really busy about it. Now I need to have it more, so I'm going to do all these things to get more of that. All right. Well, I said that'd be quick, so it's just striking to me. But yes, Mrs. Renner. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yeah, that's a very famous saying. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. So idle for things for, for God of holy things end up being working hard for things of the devil. That's right. Very good. That's a great place to close. Thank you uh, for all those excellent comments. That's a great place to close. Let's close on that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you protect us from idleness, from melancholy, from pride, from ignorance. Lord, we pray that you protect us from even religious things that are done for the wrong reasons or become a cover-up for things we don't want to deal with. Protect us, Lord, from the little prick that can turn into gangrene, the little step that can cause the slide fast down. Protect us, O oh Lord, from being isolated and alone unnecessarily. We know that you are with us and will never forsake us, but you particularly work within us as a body and as the household and family of God. Lord, we do pray that you protect us even now as we've had a good meal spiritually. We've uh, tried to be sharpening our sword and better using our armor. And before we can even be in the car, we can be shot right through and sin, even if just in anger or irritableness with someone else or a foul word or a foul thought. 
Protect us, Lord, from going home and being as uh, Thomas Watson and many Puritans have warned. Protect us from going home, and as soon as we come out, it's like a uh, calendar, uh, a, a metal sift with all kinds of holes in it, and the water just goes right out as soon as we lift it out of the pot. Protect us from that, O oh Lord. Let us hold what you've given to us. Let us meditate on it. Let us eat and drink of it all night. And we do pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.